we're working through a series on Colossians this summer called More Than Enough. And so Colossians chapter 1, the end of chapter 1, beginning of chapter 2 today. We're going to be starting at verse 24 in chapter 1 of Colossians. This is what Paul says. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions. For the sake of his body, which is the church, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them... God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for continuing to reveal yourself through it. Thank you for keeping it even though Paul never understood that it would be part of Scripture, these, these letters that he sent from prison. Thank you that you have bigger plans in store. Thank you, Lord, that even now you want to speak to us through your word. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to hear what you have to say to us today, to apply it to our lives, and to live through your Holy Spirit each day. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So as I said, we're working through a series this summer here at Chalmers called More Than Enough, where when we look at Colossians, the the overarching message that Paul is writing about is to say that Christ, the center of the gospel, is enough for us. We don't need to find new, different Gospels, new, special, secret messages, because the gospel of Jesus Christ is more than enough to transform your life, to transform my life. If you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about how this letter, the book of Colossians, was actually a letter. It was a letter of Paul. He was writing to the church in Colossae, which was an area that had a group of believers, and Paul had never met them. It wasn't one of the churches that Paul had founded, and so Paul had never met the church in Colossae. Epaphras had, uh, had been the one who had planted it, 
And Paul had heard about them and said, wow, this is awesome that there's a church here and it's growing and I just want to encourage it. But the other thing was that he was, he was writing because there was kind of this heresy, this false teaching that was going around in this church. We're not exactly sure what exactly was being taught, but we know that there was some sort of an idea that if you were part of the church for long enough, if you had been a Christian for long enough, then you could aspire to this new secret message of Jesus, this new knowledge of Jesus. And Paul is writing to say to the Colossians, what you received at the beginning, the love of God in Jesus Christ revealed to you on the cross, the forgiveness of God, that is enough. What you've received is enough. You don't have to go looking for something secret because God has revealed it all to you. And we talked about how, you know, we don't need to have more of God because God has given us himself in his fullness. What we actually need is to give God more of ourselves. If anything, in the maturing process, we give God more and more of us. Our time, our relationships, our wallet, our work life, our family life, all those things. And so he's writing this letter for a purpose, to encourage and to counter some heresy. He's writing it to a church that he never met. And he's writing it from prison. Now today I want to share with you uh, kind of a big theological concept. But we, before we get into that, I want to give you a little bit of background from Scripture. The background of Scripture is this. Since the beginning of time, God has been relational. God is a relational God. We see that throughout time. And when God created humanity, he created us to be in relationship with him. And all through the Old Testament, what we see is that God has desired a relationship with his people. He desires a relationship with his people. And so in the wilderness, there was this tent of meeting set up so that the people could come and could worship God. When they get to the promised land, they build a temple so that they can try to build into this relationship with God. But all throughout this time, there's also a very clear separation between humanity and God. Something got broken because of sin. And so while God wants a relationship, while people start to desire a relationship with God, there's still a very obvious gap. And we see this again in the tent of meeting in the temple because there was this sacrificial system. The sacrificial system where there were rituals and there were animal sacrifices that had to happen so that people could actually come into God's presence, kind of, into the temple. You couldn't go into the temple unless you had something to sacrifice. Only the high priest, and only once a year, could go into what they call the Holy of Holies, which was, was kind of where they believed that God actually dwelt. God doesn't actually dwell in one place. We know that. But God had set up this temple to say, when you come in here, you can commune with me once a year, only if you're the high priest, only if you've done a whole lot of these rituals and sacrifices. And although that was probably cool for the high priest, I'm guessing he wet his pants a few times, because it's just you know, going into God's presence, like that's kind of crazy. Total side note, 
they used to put a rope around the high priest's ankle so that if he died, if he did something wrong in the Holy of Holies, they could pull him back out. Because no one was allowed to go in there, right? Which makes me wonder that that sounds like something that they learned, not something that they proactively thought about. Right? Imagine, you know, there was a high priest who went into the the Holy of Holies, accidentally touched the ark, died, and everyone's standing around going, okay, now we have to wait a whole another year to get this guy out. But all of this, all the rituals, all the sacrifices, they point to the fact, they remind the people over and over and over again that there's this gap in our relationship with God. That God and us are not actually in relationship the way God had originally intended. Something is broken. And now Paul is speaking, and he's speaking to the church in Colossae, and he's telling them that in Jesus, that gap has been fixed. That in Jesus, there is no longer that gap. And so he points back to the sufficiency of Christ, on the cross. He points back to the supremacy of Christ on the cross. And he says that now, in Christ, something has changed. We now are in relationship, can be in relationship with the God of the universe, the Heavenly Father that Jesus talked about. And he talks about a mystery. He talks about a mystery, and this is really interesting, because again, if you, if you remember, there's this heresy going around. The heresy is about this secret knowledge, right? Everybody likes secret knowledge, you know? We have these TV shows, conspiracy theory stuff. Everybody wants to be on the inside of knowledge, right? And so if you hear there's some secret knowledge that you don't have but you could get, that's enticing, isn't it? And that's what was happening in the Church of Colossae. Maybe not exactly the same way it happens today when you see on TV you know, a preacher who says, if you just send your money here, I'll tell you the secret of how to have a successful life in Jesus. That's junk, right? Like, no, we have the supremacy, we have the sufficiency, we have Christ complete in us. We don't need to send money to hear something new. In the same way, in the Church of Colossae, they don't need to, to do anything to get new knowledge. But Paul is kind of using some of the wording to kind of, I think partly to point, to, to kind of uh, poke at these people who thought they had the, some secret knowledge. And to say, yeah, there is a mystery, but the mystery has now been revealed. And this is what he says. There is a mystery, but right now... In our part of the story, we have access to this mystery. Colossians 1, 25-27 I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. Just pause for a second. Can we just sit for a few seconds at the beauty of this? That in Christ, we now have a new relationship with God. That a mystery that was not available 
throughout time has now become available in Jesus. Something that Solomon didn't know. Something that David couldn't comprehend. Something that Moses didn't understand. Something that Deborah didn't experience. Something that Isaiah didn't have access to. And yet now we today have access to this mystery. We now have access to the fulfillment of the promise of God to all people. Are you ready for it? Here's what the mystery is. It doesn't matter whether you are, you've been a churchgoer for all your life, whether you've been a Christ follower for all your life, or just for a few minutes. It doesn't matter whether you are old or whether you are young, whether you are educated or whether you are not, whether you were raised in a church going home or not. Your life can have this mystery revealed in it through Christ. It's available to all. And here's the mystery. Here's the promise. And you're saying, okay, Brian, get to the mystery. Get to the promise. Here it is. Are you ready? Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the mystery. This is the mystery that has been, been waiting throughout time and is now revealed to us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. David didn't have it. Isaiah didn't have it. We now, on this side of the cross, have access to Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the fulfillment of everything that God has promised. It is our intimate relationship with God. That on the cross, Jesus not only took our sin onto himself, not only did he forgive us completely and bridge our relationship between God and ourselves so that we could be reconciled with him, he then promises that when we come to him, when we trust in him, when we put our hope in him, he will abide in us through his Holy Spirit. Intimate relationship with God. Christ in you. God is no longer distant and aloof. God is no longer seen as this deity who doesn't care. Jesus has shown us that God is close. And that in Christ, God wants to have an intimate, intimate relationship with you. Again, please hear me. This is not us trying to earn our way back to God. This isn't us trying to get back to God by good works, by paddling hard. How many people have ever gone canoeing before? Yeah? Okay. We're going to be talking about canoeing in a minute. I love canoeing. I'm, I'm kind of jonesing to get back out on, on the lake or a river and do some canoeing this summer. I haven't done it yet. But I love canoeing. But sometimes, when you have the wind against you, and you're just paddling hard and hard, and you're just not getting any closer, it kind of feels like you're moving, but it's not, nothing's happening, right? And sometimes, in our Christian faith, it can feel the same way. Where we can be saying, well, I'm just, I'm paddling as hard as I can, and I don't feel any different. We're not talking about trying harder and harder and harder in order to earn God's love. 
we're saying here is that the mystery of Christ is that he chooses to be part, to, to come into us through his Holy Spirit to empower us from inside. Now, there is a, a very special word here, and so if you have a Bible that you write in, I don't write in the few Bibles, Bibles, please, but if you have your own Bible and you want to underline something, uh, I want you to underline the tiny little conjunction in, because this is something that we can completely miss and often do, and yet it is so important. There are kind of two different theologies out there, or, or at least popular theologies out there. One's true, one's false. One is the Christ and you, or Christ and me theology, and one is the Christ in you, or Christ in me theology. Christ and you doesn't work. It doesn't work, and yet, so many of us try. So many of us try. Did anybody kind of grow up watching, like, wrestling, like WWF wrestling? It's okay, you, you can, safe place, you can admit it. <laughs> Do you remember the tag team wrestling where you'd have kind of two teams, right? And you and someone else would be going in and you would go into the, into the match and you would wrestle. But if you were getting in trouble, you could reach out and you could be tagged by your partner and then they would jump in in your place, Right? Sometimes we have this theology, this tag team theology of Christ. That Christ has done all the work on the cross. That Christ has reconciled us on the cross. And he died and he rose again. Now he tags us in as his church. And we're ready. We come into the world and we're like, okay, let's do this. And we work super hard. You know, trying to, to share his gospel. And we work super hard to try to make ourselves good enough to reflect his glory. And we make ourselves, we, we work so, so hard. And then when we get ourselves in trouble, like we often do, then we reach out our hands because we need them, right? We're good without them most of the time until we get ourselves in this jam. And then we reach out our hand hoping that he'll tag us and help us out. And nowhere in scripture do we see that that's how it's supposed to be. And yet, for some reason, we kind of get that into our head, right? We kind of get it into our head that we have to do all the work. Okay, back to canoeing for a minute. So there are, for the people who aren't canoers, there are a few terminologies that you need to know. Bow and stern. You would think that bow, B, should mean back. It doesn't. I don't know who came up with these words, but they're not intuitive. So bow is actually front and stern is back. Okay? Now, I have three young kids and a beautiful wife. They're not here today, but they love going canoeing. My wife especially loves sitting in the middle, which she calls the princess seat, because she doesn't have to do any of the work, right? And she can just look around and... My oldest daughter, who's eight, loves to canoe. She loves to canoe, and so she'll sit in the front, and she'll just be canoeing hard. Sometimes she's canoeing hard the wrong way. That's just how it kind of happens. But she'll be canoeing hard. If you've ever sat in the bow, in the front of the canoe, it's an important position. It's a significant position in the canoe. It's helpful. 
But sometimes when you're in the front, in the bow, and you're paddling, and you want to go this way, and so you start paddling and paddling and paddling, it's really difficult to, to move the canoe where you want it to go from the front, right? It's hard to do that, just in terms of physics and probably some math stuff, and I don't know, but it's just hard to do. Likewise, you can be paddling as hard as you can, and you have no idea what the person behind you is doing. Maybe they're like taking a nap. I sometimes do that when my daughter's in the front. I like put my feet, ah, it's fantastic. But sometimes in life, we're in the bow of the, the boat. And we're invited to be part of the process. We're invited to be part of, of the journey. God partners with us and invites us to be part of it. But we're really not the ones who are doing all the work. And, and if, you, if you could actually like come out of yourself for a minute and visualize yourself in the canoe, there's like tiny little you in the front, like my daughter, who, she's, she's eight years old, she's strong, she thinks she's really strong, but really she's not going to get us very far. And then there's Papa in the back, and Papa does one powerful thrust and the, and the canoe just moves. And where Papa wants the canoe to go, it goes because you steer from the back, right? In the same way, in the canoe of life, we're in the canoe for sure. Our place is in the front of the canoe, but Jesus is in the back. Jesus is the one who brings the power. Jesus is the one who brings the direction. Jesus is the one who has the giant muscles and is just bringing us through. And we have a, have a, have a role to play for sure. But our role is not equal. Our role is not equal to Jesus. And so this Christ and you thing, it doesn't work. Instead, Paul says, it's not Christ and you, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Through the Holy Spirit, Christ gives us power to move. Christ gives us power to follow him. Christ gives us power to understand his word. Christ gives us power to have the words to say to someone. Christ gives us power to hear his voice. Christ gives us power to follow his will. It's not that we need to muster that power on our own. But Christ is the one who empowers us to follow him. If Jesus simply had died for our sins, which would have amazing, if Jesus had simply reconciled us back to God, and then said, okay, now you're on your own. Now you have to follow him. Follow me. There's no way I could do it. There's no way I can do it. I can't follow Jesus. I constantly fall on my face. I'm running after Jesus and I trip and I fall. I'm sure I'm not the only one. And God knew that. God knew we can't do it on our own. That's the mystery. He never made us that do it on our own. Christ in us is the hope of glory. Now, this doesn't mean that we simply sit in a lazy boy chair and we say, okay, I can't do it, so Jesus, I'm just going to wait for you to do something powerful, and otherwise I'm just going to sit here, lay back, and relax. It's not what we're meant to do either. Our job is not to sit in the princess seat of the canoe. We have a role to play. 
But Christ is the one who empowers us to play that role. We now partner with God, allowing him to move in our lives, to lead us into amazing adventures, to bring us into relationships where we can share his love, the the love that we've experienced. But when we do that, when we step out, when we go into our community, we share the love of Christ when we go into, the, into someone else's life who is hurting and broken, we're not the ones who changed their lives. We don't have to manifest the right words to say. We're not the ones who have to manipulate them into feeling guilty. We're not the ones who have to coax them or twist their arms to receive Jesus. That's not our job at all. We simply go in as his ambassadors. We go in reflecting his glory, reflecting his love. And then we trust that the Holy Spirit, Christ in us, the hope of glory, is doing what only God can do. Only God can change hearts. Only God can transform lives. Only God can heal the brokenhearted. Only God can do what God can do. And when we get that messed up, when we get that confused, folks, We do more damage than good. And so we have a role to play. Think about Paul for a minute. Think about Paul. Paul's role was to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. He had a role to play. Could he do that on his own? He was a smart guy. He was a confident guy. And I will tell you right now, there is no way that Paul could do what happened in the New Testament through him if it wasn't for Christ in him. And yet Paul says, Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Paul followed Jesus with his life. And it was an adventure, and it cost him dearly. He's writing from prison. He had experienced public lashings. He had experienced stonings. And not what we talk about in culture today, like actually throwing big honking stones at people. He had death threats. It cost him deeply to follow Jesus. And yet, because Christ was in him, he could fulfill a whole lot. And we're here today because Paul stepped out in faith and said, I'm going to do my part in the boat, trusting that Christ is doing his part and going wherever he wants me to go and doing whatever he wants me to do. And so today I want to tell you that if you are here today and you have given your life to Christ and you want to follow him in your life, that you have Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that you have a role to play in this world. That your role may be different than the person beside you. Maybe different than the person beside you. It will also probably cost you something. I will guarantee that it will cost you something. But if you're willing to step out and do what God wants you to do, then he will do what he can only do. So let me ask you this question. What is God calling you to do that sounds scary, 
What is God calling you to do that is intimidating? What is God calling you to do that you have been putting off because you think, I can't do that? But if Christ is in you, what is God calling you to do that he has enabled you through the power of the Holy Spirit to do? And maybe today is the best day to start doing it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you, you partner with us in an amazing way, but it's not as a tag team. Rather, that you partner with us through us, enabling us to do what you want us to do. Father, we pray that you would give us wisdom to follow you, that you would give us boldness to follow you. We thank you for this great mystery now found in our lives, which is Christ in us, the hope of glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.